Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller, an African-American, licensed psychotherapist, professor, diversity coach, consultant, and author. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias, anything that marginalizes and oppresses. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, we'll have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? Welcome, Dara. Thank you so much for being flexible and uh, coming on CTN to share this space with me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. I really appreciate it. Um, you've been incredibly flexible. I just want to say that again. It means so much to me. Thank you. <laughs> absolutely. No, I'm, I'm honored to be joining. Thank you. Um, so you share a lot about your mom on social media, which is hysterical and I love it. <laughs> talk, about, talk about what it was like to grow up uh, in your family in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Well, I mean, the, the thing I always start with is that we were the children of ministry. That was kind of the, the, the central identifying, you know, unifying factor in our lives. Okay. Um, it, our lives were all about ministry and all about music. My father was a music minister and he was also a preacher and, uh, you know, song, singer, songwriter. My mother was a singer. So our house was very musical and it was very much centered around ministry. I had six brothers and sisters. Um, and so there were just, you know, it just was loud. It was boisterous and it was a lot of church and a lot of Jesus and a lot of music. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a therapist. So I have to ask about birth order. I am number three of seven. Three and seven. Okay. So, so not quite child. the middle, but kind of the middle. Oh, I'm the middle. I know. <laughs> I, I often uh, tell my brothers and sisters that I, I know everyone better than anyone knows everyone. So I know the older ones and I know the younger ones very well. Okay. All right. <laughs> what was your what was your uh what was your standout factor? As a middle child, it's often necessary to have your shtick, your your standout moment or period of time. What do you think yours was? Oh goodness. Yeah, that was and that was really important to, to me too, you know, distinguishing myself as as right. you know, there had to be something that made me special because it was very difficult to stand out in a, in a household full of that many, uh, that many children. Uh, I was kind of, I was kind of the skeptic. I was kind of always the smart aleck, always sort of, you know, cracking jokes or, um, just questioning things, pushing against the pricks, uh, kicking against the pricks, I guess the expression is. Yeah. And yeah, that was kind of, that was my, I think that was the first thing that started to maybe stand out to my parents as I sort started to come of age you know, maybe yeah. even eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. Like why, oh, why are they doing this in church? And why did she say that? And why did, you know, just questioning kind of really the authenticity of what was going on or the why of it all. That was me just questioning constantly. So, so it began early on that curiosity that has led to in so many different <laughs> right. paths for you. <laughs> right. I was constantly, constantly well, being chastised for being too, too analytical, too opinionated, you know, just asking <laughs> questions. It was just, yeah, it was a constant. Oh, I can relate. I can relate. I'm the youngest of nine. So I, I got, Oh, it. wow. Oh, my I understand it very good. Great. <laughs> I understand the need to stand out. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's serious. <laughs> so one of the descriptions, Oh no, no, it's no joke. So I, I love the descriptions uh, in your bio. And so I, I just want to understand what they mean to you. 
One is uh, you are a quote unquote vocalist and songwriter. Dara Tucker is establishing herself as one of the premier voices in contemporary music. What does this mean to you? Um, well, I guess that, you know, you asked before about standing out, you know, in, with the, in my birth order or in my family sort of dynamic. I mean, that's, that's really, I guess, what that statement alludes to. It's, it's the desire to stand out in, in my field and stand out in my, in my vocation, you know, in my chosen vocation. It's like um, in the world of so-called jazz, which is the, the musical world that I occupy, songwriting is not necessarily highly valued. And so, okay. you know, for me, that, that distinction in, in and of itself, it creates a, a differentiation between me and many other, many other singers within the genre that I am a songwriter and I, I do prefer to sing my, my own music for the most part. Um, and that's, that's kind of where my, my leaning and my bent has been for the last well, many years, five or six years is really performing my own music. That's really interesting. So, I didn't know that. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's, it's jazz is very much um, fixated on the great American songbook. And I mean, it's like, how do you, as a songwriter, how do you compete with uh, the more I see you or just the way you yeah. look tonight or that's all and the nearness of you? How do you compete with that music? It's, it's nearly impossible uh, to to break through in terms of your 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 own material being considered or sitting side by side, living side by side with that material. So yeah, it presents presents a unique challenge as a songwriter. Um, I, I just I think that's that just was like mind blown for me. I never thought about it that way. So I I appreciate that. <laughs> by the way, you have an amazing amazing voice. I mean, it's like poetry. Oh, thank it's so you. beautiful. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you very yeah, much. I mean, I mean that sincerely. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, okay, so another one is her eclecticism is guided by the diversity of her narrative. Talk about that. Well, I've, I've kind of done a few sketches around that, the, the eclecticism thing and then, you know, diversity just within. I mean, I say that I was I was definitely born and mostly raised in Tulsa, but we moved around so much. You know, I, we've lived in okay. we we. I mean, we were moving constantly in the in the city. We we moved seventeen times before I was twenty one or something. Um, but we wow. also lived, yeah, we also lived in Spokane, Washington. We lived in Detroit, Michigan. I spent a lot of time with my uncle in Pasadena, California. We spent a whole lot of time in, in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and then my parents subsequently moved to to New Jersey for a while, and then Detroit again. So we were just, you know, we were all we were all over the place, really. Yeah, and, and had no real sense of. I have I have a couple of sketches where I'm alluding to the fact that people kind of question. Someone just did this today, kind of questioning like, "Where are you from?" I don't really necessarily hear a regional marker in your speech, um, and that was because, well, first of all, my mother was a grammatical stickler, and then secondly, because we we really were not ever planted or rooted anywhere, mm -hmm. and so um, I don't feel that I necessarily have a very specific point of view in terms of, um, uh, you know, thought, thought processes or, I mean, in just so many ways it allows you when you are able to see the world from many points of view, especially early on, it allows you to see some of the artifice. It allows you to see a lot of the construct you know, right. that is woven to our, 
into our society and it allows you to see um, the building blocks of culture. And you just kind of get a sneak peek behind all of it, especially if you have kind of an analytical brain, as you say that you do as well. You know, right. you're just Absolutely. sort of watching out for all of the all of the particulars. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so and it my it makes its way into my my creative work as well. Oh, how can it not? It's so embedded. People always say to me, can you stop? And I, my answer is no. No, I cannot. <laughs> I can't mm-hmm. stop that mind from going and constantly questioning and being curious. So I, everything right. you're saying really resonates with me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it, <laughs> when you're when you're raised in a staunchly religious environment and you have this kind of instinct to question, question, question. Oh, man. It's, you know, that's something that that it's just it's not congruent with, right. with the environment. And so it presents right. its own challenge. Absolutely. Uh, and so what was it like to go from Tulsa? You said uh, Washington, Seattle, was it? And then to uh, okay. Detroit. Oh, Spokane. Okay. And then. Oh, and yeah. Then- well, hey, that, was, that was a culture shock. Okay. <laughs> we were in Tulsa. Yeah, we spent, I, up until about eight years old, I had spent my whole life in Tulsa. And then at eight years old, we were in Spokane for a year. They came back to Tulsa for probably eight months and then went to Detroit for two years. So, yeah, I mean, that was just, it was like night and day. It, it was, it was extreme. I mean, Spokane at that time, I don't know if it's changed at all, but at that time it had a 2% black population. Oh my God. And then of course, Detroit, when I, to go to Detroit and my father worked for a very large church, what a lot of people would call a mega church up there, but it was black, almost a hundred percent black. Mm. So to go from that extreme to the other, it was just, we were all, even my parents, we were all just kind of in, you know, it was culture shock. Really? Yeah. Yeah. In the truest sense, huh? My goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you think your identity was impacted at that young age by that culture shock? I think, you know, it, it, it stretches you. It, I would like to say, oh, it, you know, it made me the person that I am and it, you know, it did this and that and it did. But at the same time, I, f- I feel like there's a lot, there's a lot of, you know, there are a lot of layers of, of that onion that I've had to sort of peel away mm-hmm. as I've gotten older, you know, this, this desire to be a bridge between cultures, that mm. instinct to want to uh, to always be reaching out and helping people outside of my culture to understand who I am and who we are and where we come from. And I do a lot of that work. You know, if you've seen my my videos, you know that I do a lot of that work. That instinct is still there. But I think, you know, just watching my parents navigate that process, watching them navigate through the waters of, of how they handle themselves around people of other other. Uh, races and cultures, um, you know, and kind of deciding what what my relationship with, with all of that would be. As I got older, I got into some really unhealthy territory. I would say in my in my teens and probably all through my twenties, and just grappling with that okay. and, and being comfortable with who I was as just a, a black person mm-hmm. in, in America. I dealt with mm-hmm. a lot of frustration and a lot of questioning. Of, you know identity. Why does it have to be this way? And I don't like the way that black people are thought of in this environment. Mm -hmm. You know, and the fact that I am judged by that and I walk into a room and immediately someone thinks they know who I am and where I come from and what I think and how I feel about a myriad of subjects. And so I kicked against that for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so probably, I would say in the last 10 or 15 years, I've had to find my equilibrium Mm. with all of that. 
and kind of settle into a place that feels authentic for me. And that's part of what my work online is about. It's about- Yeah, it really you know, is. Deepening my, yeah, deepening my understanding of who I am and helping other people. Because I think there are a lot of people who can identify with that. Being Black in America is a very complex thing. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, you know, like what you're saying is like bouncing off of my uh, brain because the minute you said, the minute you translated what that experience was like for you, um, mm -hmm. it clicked that that's what your work is about. It yeah. is about navigating, you know, two worlds, how to make sense out of it, and also sharing sort of an inside perspective on that evolution. So that, that's why I was like shaking my head because that really makes so much sense, you know, yeah. as you describe that and seeing what your, what your work is. Yeah. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Cause yeah, so many of the, the, the building blocks that, you know, that formed when I, and, and you're a um, mental health practitioner, so I don't want to use any language that might get me in trouble. I have a younger <laughs> sister who's also, she's an L, is it LCPC L or L? I'm an LCSW, so each state has its own letters. Yeah, well, it's clinical, I don't know. Um, okay. I'm sorry. If my sister ever listens to this, I do apologize for not knowing what your particular <laughs> certification is. Licensure, I'm sorry. But I, you know, the, those, those neural pathways, I think the point I'm trying to make is those neural pathways are being formed in your brain from a very early age. And it's that pathology of, you know, wanting to please, wanting to reach out, mm -hmm. wanting to entreat and help people to understand who you are and, hey, I'm, I'm not some strange person. We're not that different. And come over here and, you know, let's come, let us reason together as, you know, the scripture says that desire, it just, it, 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 those building blocks were laid very early on. Mm -hmm. the, the church that my father was a yeah. music minister for in Tulsa was off and on really through mo most of my childhood. But for the first eight years, I mean, it was very mixed. It was an unusual environment in that it was very mixed. It was a white pastor who brought my father on for the specific purpose of integrating his church. He started wow. the church in the late 70s and he didn't want it to be just this lily white environment, which is a really, you know, it's, it's an admirable yeah. goal when you think about sure. it, especially for that time. Uh, but he brought my father on because he said music, you know, people are drawn to music. And if the music is good and if it's got some soul, then we're going to be able to attract some different folks. So then that put us in a unique position. We were children of, of a minister and was, you know, had a prominent position within the church. So we were being watched very closely all the time. It was like, you have to comport yourself in this very particular way and, you know, follow the rules. And our mother was very strict in terms of behavior, which I knew a lot of that, th those sketches around, you know, how strict my mother was in terms of how we spoke. We didn't get to run up and down the aisles of the church with the rest of the children. It just, there were different rules for us. Which, which I just want to add, which prepared you for life, different rules. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I do feel like I, I was better prepared for the realities of what the world is, is about from an early age. I, mean, I knew kids when I was in college African-American kids. And that was a very segregated experience that I wasn't ready for. But I knew friends of mine in college who were Black, who didn't even realize that that Black people only made up 12 or 13% of the population because they came from larger cities and they were surrounded by Black folks all the time. And it was just like, they had no consciousness, no awareness of like, no, we're actually a pretty, pretty small portion of the population. But I, you know, for me, that was, I was extremely aware of that, you know, right. of, of being in the minority. Right. Right. Why? And yet 
And yet today we are actually the global majority and we're having difficulty wrapping ourselves around that because oh, yeah. of exactly what you explained, you yeah. know? Yeah, no, that's very interesting. All right, so I wanna, I wanna ask one more question then I'm gonna shift gears kind of about where you've come from. Have you had your greatest fall and your greatest uh, comeback? Yeah, greatest fall and greatest comeback. <laughs> I don't think my life has really contained quite that level of drama. There's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. I feel like I'm I'm kind of perpetually on this path to like, where is this great moment? Where does this great moment uh, happen? I've definitely had some really cool experiences. I can point to a lot of, you know, really fun experiences and a, really, a lot of really crappy experiences. Mm. But I don't feel like I've hit an apex particularly. My, my 20s were just rough. When I look back on my 20s and just mm. what it meant to exist in my body and in my mind, that just felt like a low point that I would not want to okay. go back to. You all know? right. Just I think that I narrow. think <laughs> look, we all have our own version. And I think that that, that speaks to it. That's, that's enough. Yeah. So let's, let's get onto your social media a little bit. It's satire and social commentary take up such a prominent position in your life. How did that happen and why? Well, I've always been a lover of satire. I've always been a lover of comedy I remember discovering Saturday Night Live on my own because we grew up in such a strict household, right. Christian household. We weren't allowed to watch anything or listen to anything, not even secular music. And so I was finding all this stuff on my own. I was finding all the artists that I was interested in, sneaking a radio under my pillow on my own. Oh, wow. No, no one was telling me about Nat King Cole or, you know, or anyone. And no one told me what Saturday Night Live was. I didn't know until so I was probably 13 and turned on the television and I saw Dana Carvey and Mike Myers and Victoria Jackson and John Lovitz in a sketch. And I just, my head just exploded and I would turn on the radio and I was one of those that would just sit and listen to these and in between stations, whatever little, you know, crate digging I could do, quote unquote, on the radio. And I found a show called Dr. Demento that was all satirical music. Okay. It was all like novelty songs and satire music. And, you know, I, I just, I would find these little nooks and crannies wherever I could. I was always drawn to satire. So as far as me getting into that myself, it was always something that I would do just kind of around the house, just kind of joking or whatever. And I always felt like I wanted to be able to express that. I felt like in another life, I might've auditioned for some sort of comedy troupe or, or something. And so I, I knew in the back of my mind, it was like, man, you know, when I started seeing these types of sketches pop up online, I'm like, I could do that. I could do that. And so I sort of dipped my toe, you know, slowly but surely. I, I had my husband in a couple sketches with me. And then I just kind of just kind of launched out on my own and, you know, gave myself permission to just be silly, really. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, with a message. That's great. That's great. I love that. Uh, so one of my favorite commentaries that I hope went viral, I don't know if it did or not, is your activism for Eric Monte. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that got around, uh, more so on Instagram than, than TikTok for some reason. But yes, Eric Monte was a writer for Good Times, and uh, he wrote the movie Cooley High. And that was turned into a television show called What's Happening, which is based upon his life. But he was sort of edged out of that opportunity to be a part of that show and was really, according to him, was really treated pretty, pretty badly by Norman Lear and others because he pushed for the type of representation that he wanted 
on shows like Good Times. He said that the, the concept of the Jeffersons or the characters of George and Louise Jefferson were characters that he came up with and fed to Norman Lear. And this all happened kind of in the early 70s. But, you know, Norman Lear ended up executing a lot of these ideas independent of, of Eric Monte. And Cabrini Green, where Good Times is set, is where Eric Monte grew up. Wow. It's based upon his actual life. I had heard kind of inklings of his story over the years, but I had never really paid a lot of attention to it. And uh, someone in my comments section kind of, you know, pointed me to that, but like, hey, you know, you should probably, I did another video and, they, and in that comment section, they told me, well, you should probably, you know, look into the story of Eric Monson. And I thought, oh yeah, I kind of had dismissed it. The idea that, that this could have been, you know, some, oh, Norman Lear stole these ideas. It's like, well, Norman Lear is this legendary producer, you know, why does he need right. to steal ideas from people? I, you know, did some digging into it. And I, I really tried to frame that story in a way that allowed Eric Monte to speak for himself. He feels like there was a real element of racism involved in it. I didn't feel the need to make any specific commentary around that myself, but I wanted to allow his voice to be heard. And so it was a little bit of towing the line because yes. even, even now there are parts of that story I have to question. He says he came up with the idea of bringing Fred, what's his name? The the comedian that uh, played Fred Sanford. Yeah. Red Fox. Red Fox, he right. Yeah. Of using Red Fox and Sanford and Son. And then he, you know, had something to say about possibly contributing to the development of the Cosby show. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't know what elements of this are exaggerated, right. you know, or in his own memory are, are yes. blown up to be what they were. I really don't. Uh, but I do know that he contributed positively to the culture and that he was done wrong. He ended up suing Norman Lear and others, and he he was given a, a million-dollar settlement, which he he really had a lot more coming to him. And so there is some truth in, in right. what he was saying. You know, I found out later on someone contacted me and said, hey, you know, I know Eric Monte, and yes, he's, he's pretty destitute at this point. He's dealt with drug and alcohol addiction, and he's still not in a very good state. And so... I was able to kind of spearhead a fundraiser and folks got behind it and raised about $30,000 to Amazing. help to get into, yeah, a better assisted living facility. So that's, yeah, that's, that's been pretty significant. One of the most significant efforts that I've been, been involved in on TikTok. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. That thank you. I'm just, yeah, I'm just, it just kind of blows me away that people would be moved enough to want yeah. to, to make a difference in his life. You know, I've heard often that people want to, they don't know how to, and you made it so easy for them to, um, it really facilitated the process. The other thing is that it was a narrative for a human story. It wasn't mm. just about whether or not elements of his story were accurate or not. It's happened right. over and over again. It was a theme. So you right. really humanized an experience and you allowed mm -hmm. people to have some accountability for it. And that's what made it so yeah. powerful, you know? Yeah, it was it was cool because <laughs> it was kind of funny because I had certain people in the comment section just like, well, we're going to go over to Norman Lear's pool. Well, I left some nasty comments on Norman Lear's page. I'm like, that's not going to help anything. I mean, you know, I'm sure Norman Lear has his side of the story, mm. you know, and what he feels like happened and how it transpired. And, you know, the man is 99 years old. It's highly doubtful that there's going to be any sort of mm. real conversation or restitution around that where he's concerned. Um, but what we could do proactively was help Eric. Yeah. And, you know, I, I did get the feeling that Eric was, was the type that probably got, as, as they like to say, got in his own way a lot um, and was one of his own worst enemies. 
And there's there's a lot more than the the Norman Lear situation that, that I'm sure has contributed to why he is where he is yeah. now in life. Sure. So I do understand it's it's a complex issue, uh, but it just you know I, I there just came a point where I was like, well, how could I not? How could I not offer to do something if I know this man? He's still alive, for goodness' sake. That was the first shock. He's still right. he's yeah. dealt with drug addiction, homelessness for years, and is still out there. Mm. And once I learned that, and once I had a reach out from somebody who had a connection to him, where it was like, all right, jump on it quickly, because you want to, you know, be able to seize the moment when people are still thinking about it and are still right. moved by it. So yeah, it's been quite a journey. You do this a lot. You find the thing that we didn't know about, and you bring it to light, and mm. in a way that's user friendly. And I don't have time to go over all of the ones that I think are amazing, but. I do have to say my second favorite is the deflection doll. I'd like to know. I'd like to know when that's going to be available for purchase around the holiday. (laughs) Talk about the deflection doll. I must have reposted it about four times. For the for those who are real diehards, the deflection doll actually made another appearance in a very recent sketch of mine this week. So if you remember Deflection Doll, you may see her make a little cameo in another sketch. Right on. But no, Deflection Doll had done a, a another sort of, when we were kids, there were these, hey, Time Life presents this treasury of music or whatever. Right. And then the, right. all the credits would scroll by and it would be Dean Martin singing his greatest hits or whatever. So I decided to do it in that style. And I had done another video like that last year called Progress Blockers. And they were shades that you could oh, put yes. on to block yes. All I the progress okay. and take you back to, you know, 30 years ago. I forgot ago. about that one. I forgot. That was another great one. <laughs> yeah. And so I think it was probably a conversation under that sketch that sparked the idea for deflection doll. So yeah, she's just the doll. You can pull her string and she just gives you all sorts of deflections to throw out there when you're, you're hearing things that, that you don't want to have to deal with. So <laughs> She's a sympathetic character, I think. So after, after you know, when this this podcast drops, you're gonna have to post all of these again because <laughs> so so good. You don't always have time to scroll through and find them, but right, you, you know, you kind of want to guide people because they're just just right. so good. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love doing that. That really is my favorite. Like I said, this the satirical stuff where I can really uh, you know that Saturday Night Live style production and just execute an idea. It's my absolute favorite thing to do. Well, in both of those, what's so funny about it is, you know, you have this way of coming across like it's going to be so serious and then <laughs> get to it. And it's like, oh my God, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> the most fun with those sketches is the, it's all the, the hokey faces that you get to make, yeah. you know, all, you're so, just so frustrated. Like the, the folks in the infomercials who are just constantly fumbling with tomatoes that they can't cut or whatever. It's right, just, right. Yeah, no, that's good. It's good stuff. So let's talk about your podcast before we wrap up. I'm all okay. over the place. Talk about the episode in particular that had to do with a cultural appropriation, please, because I think that's a theme of what yeah. you do on the show. Yeah, I think that's one of the more difficult subjects for a lot of, I would say a lot of white folks to get their heads around. I can't say that black folks really have a difficult time with this. And it's so interesting to me, the cultural divide there. Mm-hmm. between even just, you know, these two groups and their ability to even understand what this is and why it is problematic. Mm-hmm. The the whole concept of 
a majority culture, which is really how cultural appropriation is defined, a majority culture that is profiting in some way, either socially or financially, is profiting from the culture of a minority group. When I do videos around this kind of thing, it sparks a lot of conversation. If I do videos around um, what's called digital blackface, is you know this is another really form of cultural appropriation. Those are some of the videos that get the most traction mm. um, because people have a lot of curiosity about it. A lot of people have a very reflexively just angry or de defiant, indignant reaction to the idea that you know we just can't have everything that we want to have this is you know music belongs to everyone and so why you know you're gatekeeping and a classic deflection doll line yes uh, gatekeeping and, you know but to help people to understand especially in the united states to help people to understand even the concept of culture which is a little bit of what i got into later on in that video about cultural appropriation versus cultural appreciation. Mm. What is culture? In the United States, at least, it's not really something that's that's understood well and certainly not understood from the standpoint of, you know, Black Americans possessing, having a sense of culture that is uniquely ours. We're, we're seen as just a, a subset of American culture. You know, you, you happen to be here and fine, you're doing what you're doing. So, you know, this we're, we're all in this together and we're just going to grab this if we want it. We like what you're doing and we're going to take it and do it. And who says we can't? Yeah. You know, there's not that consciousness of the way that you would approach in any other culture to say, hey, I, I respect the history here and mm -hmm. I want to be a part of this. And may I respectfully participate? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> there's no such approach with Black right. American culture because it's not truly acknowledged as being its own distinct culture. So I think introducing these concepts to people, it helps to lay the groundwork you know, for them to understand maybe why Black people might have this reflexively angry response to people like Elvis and others who have made a living profiting from, from Black culture. But a lot of white folks don't, a lot of white folks don't even know that, that Black people have a problem with Elvis Presley. They do not know that. They don't even have any awareness of it. And if you say it, it's it's the most sacrilegious thing ever. Yeah. So yeah, that's one of that's one of the videos I've had the most resistance to. Understood. Understood. And so talk about your podcast and what are the other themes that you bring up and talk about? We'll usually discuss one of my videos that's kind of had a lot of traction lately. Okay. And so the next one we'll do will probably be um, what's the most recent one we did? Oh, the whole kerfuffle around the Little Mermaid. Oh, and why? Yeah. <laughs> and so I just did a video that was the, the top 10 films where where white people have played people of color. And of course, it just does not occur to them necessarily, a lot of them necessarily, that this has been done a lot throughout mm. the decades. And so we'll usually take a, a theme of one of one of the videos that I've done recently and just kind of break it down even further. And we'll, oh, we'll do that with my husband. Yeah, Greg. And we'll just have kind of a deep dive conversation into those themes. Because a lot of people, you know, they have follow-up questions that they want asked. And, and I can't get into it all in, in a three to six minute video. Right. And so it's a real, really cool opportunity for me to just, just expound on those subjects further. And then sometimes I'll show sketches or whatever. And sometimes I'll include my music as well. I'll, I'll play a little clip of, of my music because not a lot of people know that I actually am a, a singer and that's what I do. So. I can't believe that. That's what I knew first. 
So first, first, let me say that I, I said it before. I'll say it again. You are so incredibly talented as a musician. Thank you. And Thank yeah, you. I mean that. Yeah, I mean that sincerely. I, I, I'm just so impressed with, you know, raw talent that turns into something else. For my lack of music, music, musicianship, I can't really <laughs> articulate it clearly. But there is a raw talent there, and you can just see it, you know, Thank grow. You as you add pieces to it and it's just, it's really incredible. So I want, I want to say Thank that you. very clearly, even if I say it inarticulately. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and I love the fact that you really care about teaching people the truth, whether it's your truth, the truth of history. Um, mm -hmm. I appreciate your knowledge. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on. And I want you to tell people where they can find you either performing, purchase your music, see your podcast, your social media handles, all of that right now as we wrap up, please. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much, JD. I've enjoyed myself as well. I, I appreciate these questions that go in depth and are not just a, a rehashing of my Wikipedia entries. It's, this has been fun for me too. <laughs> but That's great. I'm, thank you. I'm on, if you're looking for my music, it's on all digital music platforms, but it's, it's under Dara Tucker. And I've tried to get that changed for a while now. I've gone by Dara Star Tucker for a while and but that's a difficult process. And so you'll have to find me under Dara Tucker under plat platforms like Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you find music. But we are working on our, an album right now. And so that'll be out in the spring of next year. But we just put something out, I think last year. Yeah, last year we put something out. So you can find my music under Dara Tucker. And then online, I'm on I'm Dara Star Tucker. And that's, I just had a, I've been having a little bit of a back and forth with one of my heroes who's India RE lately. And she she has a podcast herself and she says, she told me, she's like, you need to, you, you need a little hook to tell people how to find you. And you say Dara with one R and star with two or something. She's very oh, good at these little catchy oh, sort of aphorisms. But yeah, Dara with one R and star with two. So thank you, India. So Dara Star Tucker, Twitter, I'm on YouTube, I'm on TikTok. Instagram is Dara Tucker B. And that's the one that's that's a little different. But I'm on Facebook, all, all the major social media platforms I'm on. And then the podcast is called I'm all over the place with Dara Star Tucker. So yeah, I'm doing a lot. And all those links are in my bio on Instagram and TikTok. Yeah, one more, Linktree. Yes, Linktree. That's my Linktree is, I, I don't know exactly what it is. Uh, is Dara Tucker. Okay, B. we'll make sure we yeah, put it. Like, Dara, yeah, okay. it, yeah, Dara Star Tucker. But that's in my bio on Instagram and TikTok. And that's perfect. where it will lead you to everything. Perfect, perfect. I just want to make sure Thank I got you. them all in. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm on Patreon as well. I always forget to mention the Patreon, but I do Great. have a Patreon. And actually, I'm, I'm shocked anytime I see people sign up for that, but that, that's the coolest thing to me because it's like, that's hey, awesome. we want to support you. And like, we want you to, to actually be able to continue to do what you do. So love my Patreon. So the other thing is any upcoming performances? Any shows you I have don't coming up? I don't have anything on the docket right now. Like I said, we just because moved. And yeah. Greg, who is normally the guy that books our shows, he's my husband, is a radio broadcaster. So he's really focused on that right now. And we are focused on recording the album. Got and so it. we're in a state of flux, like the move, him starting this new position, and then the recording the project. So we are in, we're sitting our butts down right now and actually rooting. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, hopefully we'll be back out there. But I would think by, you know, in a couple of months, we'll be back out there and definitely by the spring because we'll have an album to promote. Yeah, stay tuned for schedule notices. Final word. This was amazing. Thank you so much. I loved getting to Thank know you, you more. Uh, and I want to give you the you. final word as we exit. Oh, I'm, I'm just so appreciative, honestly, for your appreciation, Janie. It really feels good when people 
hear you and understand where you're coming from and to go back to the theme, you know, that we discussed in the beginning about significance and creating some sort of distinction for yourself. I guess I will never be, I will never be beyond the desire to distinguish myself in some way. And, you know, in, in so many different fields, it's just, a, it's a constant push on my part and probably a neurosis, I guess. And again, I'm using your, your <laughs> terminology probably completely incorrectly. No, not incorrectly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but whether it's healthy or unhealthy, I just, I appreciate people who, who plug in and who help me to feel that I'm actually on the right path and that I am, I am being somewhat effective you're one of those people. So I so appreciate that. Thank you so much, JD. All right. Thank you again. I'll be in touch. So good luck with your move and all the changes and things that are happening. And I'll make sure I stay tuned. Thank you, Dar. Appreciate you. Thank you so much, JD. All right. Bye-bye. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with JD Fuller. 